Speak Out World. I'm your host, Jewel L. And I'm your host, Dino L. And we'd like to first start off by thanking all of our first responders for the job that you're doing. We really are praying for you and we really thank you for your great work. Dino, guess what? Um, on today's show, we are talking about carving out your own success. So well, I you have... I know you have some type of some type of quote for us today. So go ahead and lay it on. You know I do. You know I do. The quote is, don't ever think that just because you do things differently, differently, you're wrong. And that's from um, the great American novelist Gail Sukayami. And so our guest today. Um, as we even wrap up the month of May, which is Asian Pacific um, American Heritage Month. But that's not the reason why I have our guest on today. I've been wanting to have her on Speak Out for a while. She is an activist, a community organizer, and a champion of, of equity liberation. Um, she is also the executive director of 9 to 5 National Association of Working Women. All right. Give a, give a warm welcome to our guest, Ling Ling Chancy. Ling Ling, thank you. All right, Ling Ling in the house. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. It is such a pleasure to have you on Speak Out today. And um, I mean, there are so many things that I want to be able to talk about because you have such a great uh, life story, and you've been involved so long in terms of activists and really fighting for justice, for uh, equality for women, but for all people. Um, so I just want to uh, let the viewing audience get a chance to hear a little bit about your story. You were born in Singapore. Can you tell us a little bit about growing up in Singapore and then when you came to the U.S.? Thank you for asking that question. And yes, I grew up in Singapore back in the 70s. I grew up in a really traditional Chinese uh, household, um, very conservative and very patriarchal. Um, my mom actually only have a, a third grade education and she had to leave school to care for her siblings. Uh, she has a huge family and so does my father. Um, so, you know, when my mom was, um, when they got married, um, we were very poor. My dad had a little convenience store um, in our neighborhood, and that's kind of how we grew up um, in the community. And uh, my mom always said, you know, like she had two girls and one son. She's like, no matter what I do in my life, I'm going to make sure that, you know, my children have the best education um, possible. And, and so she's like, you know, I never had the education and the chance to, you know, it, it, we always joke about this. Like if my mom had an education, she would like be like the most well-known like artist today. You know, she's so good at so many things. She's really artistic, but she was just, she never had an access. So, um, you know, she, my parents had, like I said, had a little convenience store and my mom, you know, was a seamstress for a really, really long time when I was growing up, as far as I can remember, you know, the lights would be off and she would be on that sewing machine, you know, and um, through the night just, and every time I remembered at the store, if my parents got like a, like a $50 bill, you know, they would, um, 
stick it into, you know, the, they turn kind of like an old coffee tin into like a savings bank. And every time we would get like a $50 bill, they would put that um, $50 bill into the can. I can still remember it was under the bed, you know, where we kept it. And we all, you know, we only had like a one bedroom at the back of the store. So growing up, you know, we lived in the back of the house and I actually did not sleep at that location because the room was too small. Plus I have an older brother and sister. So actually, I actually uh, grew up mostly with my aunt, my brother, my dad's older sister. So uh, my parents actually finally bought a house when um, I was in first grade. So we were able to all move in my aunt and her family and my family, we all moved into one house. Um, so that was the first time I actually moved home to live with my parents. So um, growing up, you know, in Singapore, the education system is very different than the American system. Mm -hmm. uh, most, uh, most children in, in my generation, like most people graduate with only like a um, great 10th degree. So mm -hmm. once you finish 10th grade, you know, if you don't do well in the uh, kind of like the pre exam, the government exam, then uh -huh. most of the time you just leave and you find a job. So you can imagine 16 year olds, you know, uh, they start working. So I was fortunate, I did pretty well in my test and I was able to finish what in America is known as senior high school. So I went two more years of school but at the time when I was going to school, we had only one, um, one university in Singapore. So only like the top, like the cream of the, you know, the, the top like percent of the entire high school population made it to the university. I think we also had a engineering university, but only one for like humanities and, and, you know, so I didn't make it to the university. My grades were not good enough. And so at the time, my parents were like, well, you need to continue to go to school. Um, and they, so before that, I, my parents, actually, a lot of people in my generation, they retake the, uh, entrance exam to the university. Yes. They repeat mm -hmm. the second year, but I refused to do it. I was like, I'm not going to school anymore. So actually behind my parents back, I actually signed up and went, signed up for culinary school. Cause I really wanted to be a chef. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so I went behind my parents' back. I signed up for culinary school. My parents were so upset with me. Um, I actually did graduate with a culinary degree. But then um, once I started working, my parents were like, this is not the life that, you know, you want to lead. Like, you, you mm -hmm. should go back and get a four-year, you know, your bachelor's. And, you know, to be honest with you, when I actually went out into society and worked in the real kitchen, I realized how patriarchal and sexist the kitchen environment was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, there was no way I could be successful unless I was ready to fight, you know, the whole <laughs> way. And, yeah. and so I, I actually took my parents' advice and I actually came to America to go back, uh, to go to university. So that's kind of how I landed in America. Wow. Ling Ling, you, you've had some very interesting management positions, mm -hmm. uh, such as the United Way of Greater Atlanta, 
the Center of Pan-Asian Community Service, the National Asian Pacific American Women's Forum, and Quality Care for Children. How have they helped you establish and build a movement to advance social justice and human rights for people of color? You know, that's a great question, Dean. I always grew up with this sense of injustice in my system. I think my dad, you know, like he always taught me like, you know, you always got to speak up when you see something is wrong, right? He, yeah. you know, we he had a corner grocery store. The the grocery store was always kind of like the hub where everything was happening, right? People would come hang out. So my dad kind of like was the informal, like I don't know mayor or chief of a little <laughs> corner of the world, you know, and people would come and solicit ideas and talk about what was going on. So at a really young age, I learned that, you know, if you see something that's not right, you got to speak up. Right? If you have the ability to, you got to. And I remember when I was in college, like, I, I lived in a dormitory where most of my friends were all international students. Mm -hmm. and I spoke English um, fairly well. So I was always elected kind of like the the um, unofficial like advocacy person, like to go <laughs> to the resident advisor if something was not right, if we had to speak up about something, like they would send me, right? Because I could speak <laughs> multiple languages and then I could also speak English. So I was able to be that conduit of communication. So I think, you know, and after moving to this country and, and learning like the way the culture of this country work, I remember that, you know, like, you know, how do you say, like be on the receiving end of racism is like, it's like a common like daily occurrence, right? Microaggressions are like a common, common daily, uh, you know, occurrence. So, you know, Pretty pretty early on, I learned that I'm not gonna let lead my live my life and be a doormat, right? No matter what people say, even if my English is not perfect, I'm gonna take every opportunity to speak up um, every time I see something is not right. So I guess I've been organizing. You know, if you consider organizing your friends and the groups that you're in. Um, since I was yes. in college, probably. And that just that passion of like wanting to do more and wanting to do better and fight injustice just kind of stayed with me um, kind of, you know, in grad school and then into the workforce. I always knew I wanted to do social justice work. I just didn't know how I was going to get my foot in the door to do social justice work. And I was actually really, really blessed because United Way of Metro Atlanta actually was my first entree into nonprofit work. Yeah. Um, I just never, you know, never left after that. Yeah. One follow-up to that. Uh, your, your motto, equitable access for all, is that where that came from? Um, you know, after living in this country for, for so many years, um, now I've actually lived in America more than I've lived in Singapore, you know, uh -huh. and really like observing how the political structure is. And, you know, growing up in Singapore, I didn't experience racism like, like now in America, right? All these years. Gotcha. And um, I think that, you know, judging at, you know, how the American society and the values of this country, you know, when you're in Asia growing up, you think, oh, America is like this dream of, endless possibility, 
right? Like this like human rights country where you can live your full selves. But after being educated here and living in this country, I realized that that is actually not the case at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say you are you do not choose the skin color that you're born into, but you're definitely treated very differently based on your skin color. Yes. Right? And yes. so like the his the, the slavery, the history of slavery in America is so deep seated and so deep rooted, right? And the systems that are set up today in, in the American society were not set up for people of color to be successful. Right. Right. And so I think that's part of like my sense of like, you know, we have to fix this. How do we go about fixing it so that we can have equitable access? Because we don't have equitable access right now in our society. It's very much based on your economic um, circumstance, you know, like it's classism baked with um, racism, right? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. All is, is, you know, is systemic. So how do we go about changing that? You know, and I mean, Ling Ling, you see so much, um, have seen so much as an activist here in this country since you've been here, because not only have you experienced the racism just based upon skin color, but you've also seen the injustice that happens to immigrants that come to this country, especially women um, that are undocumented, women that are trying to work to make a living and unable to do so. You know, I mean, can you share a little bit about your own personal experience here in America and how that really developed your passion here and activism um, on that level as well? I think, like I said, you know, growing up and outside of America in a different country, you always you always have this view of America is the land of opportunity and the land of possibilities, right? Mm-hmm. So I think many people choose to uproot themselves from the place that they grow up because they are not as probably not as many um, opportunities for them to come to this land of opportunity, right? And I think, but by the time you get here, you realize that actually that may not always be the the vision that you had when you embarked on this journey. But by the time you get here, it's too late. I mean, you think about like you are sacrificing everything to have a better life for your family and you bring your children and you come to this country and seeking a better life. But after you get here, if things are not the case, you know, everybody has different circumstances. You know, I hear of so many stories of women, you know, bringing their children crossing the border um, from Mexico into America because all the resources in their hometown have been depleted and they have no choice but to come here. But then how they get here, right? Many are enslaved by paying all these, you know, like fees or debt right, to get here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've even heard of like, this is why I'm not a big fan of cruise ship. And I can tell you a story. Like, um, you know, there are many, many of these cruise liners, right? They, They go into villages where they said, okay, if you come and work on the ship for an extended number of time, you get this much money. Right. But then you have to pay the headhunter that sum of money to be able to get your paperwork so that you can come on the cruise ship. But then the living circumstance and the work kind of the work 
how do you say what the work is when you get actually get on the cruise ship is this is it's um it's really inhumane you know mm. the living conditions are not you know what what i think is acceptable you know if i were to work on the cruise ship and by the time you take away the the expenses that they have to pay that headhunter yes the fees that they had to pay by the absolutely the money that they earn is pennies mm-hmm. that's going back to their families so there are so many women that think that they can have a better opportunity, but when they actually get here, that's not always the case. But it's too late. What do you do? You know, so you have to make, you know, I I would consider myself like your friend Sharon is kind of a MacGyver attitude, right? You just got to make do. I, I say this, like, you know, immigrants and people of color, we are so good at hustling because we're used to. We have to hustle all the time to make it work, right? So when you're faced with those difficult choices and decisions, what do you do? You hustle to make it work. So unfortunately for many, many people that are living in this country who do not have papers, you know, they do not, they are even worse. They don't even have half the access that we have access to. That's true because they don't have the documents in order to get the benefits. So if you're if you're here, especially as a woman and, you know, you're pregnant and you have children, you just can't go and apply for any type of social services because you don't have your papers in order. And so <clears throat> how do you continue to feed your family? How do you continue to work? Um, it's, it's all those things. And even though we hear this racist rhetoric, because that's what i consider it to be racist rhetoric about immigrants taking American jobs. And that is not the case at all. I, I mean, I mean, you are. I was just going to say that we all pay taxes. If you think about it, you know, you go to the grocery store, you have to pay for food tax. It's not like we it's, you know, it's not like it's a free ride to anything. Right. right. It's, I mean, was still, I mean, was there still, how do you say, like, like, they still have to live the life of how it is in America. It's not like if they go to the store, they don't have to purchase anything. They're still spending the money that they make and still paying the taxes. So I think, you know, the idea that they just take, and most of it, come on now, like who, the jobs that they have, you know, like I would say more than half the time are jobs that folks do not want. That's right. You know, who wants to be in the kitchen washing dishes? You know, who wants to have no health insurance and be caring for children? And working two or three jobs. When and no working two or three jobs or working, you know, 18 hour days. Yes. Below minimum wage. Exactly. So, yes. So Ling Ling, nine to five focuses on voter registration and uh, discussing voter suppression and how do we avoid that. But why is it so important for all people to vote, but especially people of color? And why is there so much pushback by the government against voting by mail for safety purposes, even in the midst of a pandemic? It's all political. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, that's the easiest way to say it, but political, why? To keep the oppressed oppressed, right? It's all, it goes back to this whole 
whole kind of like notion of access and equity, right? Like if we can keep the poor, the people of color, the communities of color oppressed, they can't get to the polls, then guess what? Only those that have access to, you know, face masks can take time off work to be in line, don't have to worry about losing, you know, the, the time off that they're not working, you know, to be able to vote. Or right? die. It's all, it's all forms of oppression, right? Mm -hmm. If you get everybody able to vote by mail, think of how many people have more access. Yes. But the idea is to keep the people that are oppressed, continue to keep them oppressed, right? So they don't have a voice. And that's what we're trying to do, is trying to make sure that every single person in our country that is able to vote have a voice. That's the only way that we can change the system that was not set up by us, right? I talk about this all the time, and sometimes I'm like, this system does not work. How do we completely take it down? What do we have to do? More people have to stand up. But, you know, I, you know, and Jewel knows this, right? Community organizing is hard work. It's like you yeah. want people to be at the Capitol with you. But in reality, how many people have, uh, have the ability to take time off work to stand at the Capitol with you? Exactly. People have to choose between feeding their families and fighting for their rights. This is what this country is, right? And most of the time, you see only people that have access can have the right to fight. All the money, right? Mm. Yes. I mean, it's the same thing, Ling Ling, that's happening right now with COVID-19. People are literally having to make the choice between their health or voting. Their, their health or yes. work to keep a roof over their head. I mean, it's just those same type of unfortunate, those same type of choices that have to be made among people based upon um, really systemic racism that we have in this country. As a woman, as, a, <clears throat> as an Asian woman moving up the ranks in the United States, Ling Ling, can you just share with us some of the obstacles that you've had to deal with personally as you began um, to move into different positions and within nonprofits? I can just sum it up in one um, kind of like one sentence. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the phrase, oh my gosh, you speak English so well. Wow. I think that is, that sums it up it, for me, right? In like the years and years of working in this country, like when people look at me, you know, the, of, of, you know, I say this all the time, right? Like when I wake up in the morning, no matter how, how, you know, how my, how well my spoken English is, when I look in the mirror, I'm still not a white person in this country. You know, I wake up in the morning and I'm still an Asian girl in the mirror that I see, right? Mm -hmm. So that is the first thing, you know, people judge you based on who you are to begin with, right? And in this country, unfortunately, that's kind of like the first impression. People don't know, I mean, and I can tell you this story, you know, back in the day when I was working in the corporate world, um, I would, I worked for this company, this big corporate American company, 
And this lady and I, we would take the elevator up to, you know, we'll see each other in the elevator. We'll say, hi, hi, how are you doing? For over two years, I was working there. And then I left the job. And one day I saw this, this lady in the grocery store at Publix. And, you know, I was just in my T-shirt and my sweats with my kid and going down the aisle. And I knew, like, I recognized her immediately when I saw her coming down the aisle at me. And she saw me and she's like, hi. And then I said, hi. And she's like, don't tell me. I know you. Which nail salon do you work at? Oh, no. <laughs> what? What? Oh, no. You know, I never forget that story, right? It's because that's how people see you, right? And, you know, I, I have worked in so many different places, so many different organizations. And I can always tell you, like, you know, when I work for white women, it's always like, you are so good at what you do. You are so good, but you're never good enough. You know, mm. like, you can only go so high in the organization and then it stops because ultimately you're still an immigrant. So, you know, I've gone through many, many of those kind of very similar struggle um, living in this country. But, you know, to be honest, you just got to keep speaking up and fighting your way through. Ling Ling, uh, there's a lot of interest uh, and publicity being placed on the landmark decision Roe v. Wade regarding women's reproductive rights. How do you think the Supreme Court will rule on this important issue? Um, to be honest, I'm really fearful, mm. right? The makeup of the Supreme Court right now is not in our favor, you know? And, you know, to be honest, like when I first moved to this country and went to college and one evening we were just, you know, like my friend, I went to my friend's house and there was a car parked like on the side of the road to the place that we were going to. And there was a sticker that said, um, what is it, um, pro pro-life and I was like hey so you know I don't know I'm you know this is my first time seeing a sticker with <laughs> it. I asked my friend that was with me I was like what does that mean pro-life you know and she's like so she explained to me right what like in America that yeah like you're pro-lifers and then the pro-choice and you know growing up in a country where abortion access was so readily available like it was not tied to religion. It was not tied to, you know, morals. It was tied to, like, people's circumstance. And right. that the government had no right to dictate to you how you should control your body, right? So it was brand new for me. And I was like, why do people care what other people, how other people choose and what other people choose? It's not our prerogative to judge people. And so, you know, my whole notion, I always said this, I said, you know, if you have can, if I have cancer today and I elect not to have treatment, not to receive treatment, there is no law that says that I have to receive treatment. So why is a woman's body electing not to have an abortion up to the law to decide for us? Right. Got you. Yeah. And so I do fear because of what the makeup of the Supreme Court is and where it's going to take us. I really do fear. And this is something that I think a lot of people on the ground are organizing. But I think because of the how, you know, the majority of the country 
and the religion that is embedded in, you know, Christianity. And I think so, I still think that, you know, even though America is this land of the free, it's not that free after wow. all. Because yeah. your freedom is dictated mostly predominantly by white people that set up those laws to dictate to us what is right and what is wrong in their perspective. Yes. Ling Ling, this has been an awesome conversation. I can't believe that a half an hour is going by so fast. Um, There are two questions before uh, we let you go. First of all, um, in addition to your work as an activist, you're also an artist. So um, has this pandemic help to inspire any new artwork or any new art form during this particular time for you? Well, you know, um, I I don't do way too much art because normally I don't have the time, but I do like to um, create poetry. That's one of the things that I like to do. And, Girl, speak something. Oh, I Okay, all right. But Jewel knows that one of my live goals that I joke about is to have a one-woman show in Las Vegas. That's on my bucket. Oh, wow. So I'm trying to curate all my material so that I can be prepared when that time comes. That's right. right. And look, and we will have first row seats, Dino and I, at at that comedy concert. Because I know, I know it's going to be funny. (laughs) Uh, Because... That's that's just the um, the other other side of your activism, Ling Ling. Uh, before we go, is there anything that you would want to share with our um, Speak Out World podcast viewers just about activism or what's going on today with COVID nineteen, or you know just anything on your heart that you would like to share with the audience? Um, I would just say to folks that are out there and like listening to this podcast, you know, now is the time for us to give our best self back to the Mm. community, whether it's if you have the money, donate something, because there are a lot of people out there that are going to need our help. Um, You know, if you have time, you know, find something that you can invest in helping somebody else out with. Like now is the time to really show that we can do this with or without the federal government. Right. Unfortunately, all the state government, all the local governments like this is the time when you really have to reach out to your neighbor and ask them, do you need me to pick up your groceries? You know, like what little acts of kindness, I think, is the only way that is going to help us help many survive um, this COVID-19. Wow. And and also to thank all the people that are on the front lines that are sacrificing for us every day. Absolutely. Yeah, Ling Ling, I want to thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Again, Ling Ling, Executive Director of 9 to 5 National Association of Working Women. And if you want to learn more about 9 to 5, check out their website at 9to5.org. Well, we're signing out. I'm Jewel L. And I'm Dino L. And remember, you have a voice, so be sure to... Mm -hmm.